SequelCast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. Your thoughts dwell on your mother. I miss her. Mm, Afraid to lose her, I think. Mm? What has that got to do with anything? Everything. Welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a show that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time. We're in the middle of looking at the Star Wars saga, and this time around we'll be taking a look at Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Uh, check out our episodes at sequelcast.com. Our theme song is written and performed by Mark with the C, and the sequel cast is part of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. You can find out uh, more fun film and TV podcast as part of that podcast fleet. At, is it a uh, ragtag fleet? Yeah, ragtag podcast fleet at battleshipretention.com. So. Who's with us today? Yes. Very good. Sorry, I'm a bit out of it. Long day at work. Uh, so am I. So with us is Thrasher. Hello. And BJ. Howdy. It's been really and fun having you on, BJ, for these uh, Star Wars shows. It's been a while. They are my passion. I, I bet. As Thrasher knows, I'm I'm doing three Star Wars LARPs at Gen Con this year. Oh, it fantastic! It's going to be intense. When is we have an entire trilogy. When is I that? think we're do- are we doing that all in one day? Uh, the general response I've gotten has been all in one day. So I'm I'm working out a schedule by which we can do all in one day, and none of us will be driven insane, and we can still get three squares. You're going to have to have like a big uh, bucket in the corner that you that you uh, piss and shit in. So you don't waste time building your sets, well, making just, your costume. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, you know, we'd, we'd wear, uh, you know, Rebellion flight suits, which are meant for long-term space travel, so they kind of have a pouch for that sort of thing. Oh, it's not like uh, the movie. I was just going to wear like the- one of my many Star Wars t-shirts, but okay. Cool. Some might say a shit stain is preferable to the design of, like, Jabba the Hutt in the Phantom Menace. I don't know. That's a weak I don't know. I think Yoda was worse. Yeah, we will talk about that. I mean, I, uh, so this movie was directed by George Lucas. It's the first movie he directed since uh, Star Wars in 1977. So, I mean, that's like a... I thought he directed Howard the Duck. He did not direct Howard the Duck. He was an executive producer. And really? it was produced through Lucasfilm. Um, and uh, But this was produced by Rick McCallum, starring Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn, Ewan McGregor as young Obi-Wan Kenobi. Natalie Portman as Amidala, Jake Lloyd as young Anakin, Ian McDermott as Palpatine, Ahmed Best as the voice of Jar Jar Binks, and, uh, and many others. Music by John Williams, uh, cinematography David Tattersall. This film uh, was released in the U.S. May 19th, 1999. Off a budget of $115 million, made uh, a hair over, made around $1,027,000,000 worldwide. 
And counting. Like everything else in Star Wars, it's and counting. Yes, I oh, have yes. no idea, by the way, if that counts for the uh, the 3D, the 3D release. release, which that was as successful as they thought it would be. Um, although it did better than some of the other 3D releases. Regardless. Well, it's Star Wars. Of um, course, yes. As much as we love to hate Episode One as a as a fandom, we still will go pay to see it on the big screen. Well, well yeah. You I know, mean, I, I will say I, I don't love to hate it, and, and I'll go so far as to say I I don't hate it. It is my probably my least favorite Star Wars film, but you know, I've I. I didn't come to that immediately. I came to that after you know several viewings and a lot of introspection. You see, yeah. I don't hate it either. I actually think that it gets hate that it doesn't deserve. Right. I think I part really of that think... is expectation. I mean, this this came out. You know, Return of the Jedi came out in eighty two. This came out in ninety nine. So it was like a seventeen year gap. Not to mention, That's a, and there is a lot of nostalgia that oh, built yeah. up in that time, and sure. that. That really can ruin a movie or, or an IP for somebody is having these preconceived notions of nostalgia. And one of the best um, one of the best things about that is there's a, a movie called Fanboys that was uh, it's on DVD. Um, yep. And it's about these guys going across country to steal Episode One to see it before it's released because their friends dying of cancer. It's a really great geek buddy movie. Yeah, it's fun. But it's it's all about you know it, it's a lot of building up and you really see the nostalgia that these guys have, and you know what's coming because you've seen episode one. You're like it's not going to live up to their expectations. I mean, when I first saw this movie, uh, I paid a friend of mine to wait in line, and he was getting a whole bunch of tickets for himself and his buddies. And then when it came out on that Wednesday after school, I wasn't able to go. I just got really really sick, too sick for Star Wars. And so I caught it. I caught it that weekend with uh, my family. But the very next day in school, it was before I had seen the movie. He proceeded to ruin the whole movie for me because oh. he was very angry that I didn't get to. I didn't go with him, even though he was with a crowd Did of you like punch him in the nuts? half a dozen people. I, I I just I was blindsided. You know, it was in my Spanish class. I think it was like my first or second class of the day. I was still kind of waking up in, in high school. Did you quote Jar Jar Binks in Spanish? Because that would be hilarious. Yo soy Jar Jar Binks. Misa, Misa, no me gusta los Jedi. Shema el Jar Jar. Yeah, my 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 uh, first encounter with Phantom Menace. Uh, I I stood in line myself uh, to get tickets. Went to a uh, went to a, a midnight release, hmm. which I believe it was. It was the it's the second midnight release I'd ever gone to. The first being uh, the midnight release in a local theater for the Mystery Science Theater three thousand movie. So I stood in line, you know, got tickets, saw it, then saw it again the following weekend with my whole family. Uh, you sp- speaking of spoilers, by the way, so I'm in line at the theater. Uh, which getting time? tickets, the first and time? the guy in front of me is reading the hardback novelization of the movie. <laughs> now, did you try? Was he saying spoilers out loud, or? Well, you know what? He didn't. He was very he was very respectful to other people. He uh-huh. only talked about the book he was reading if asked. But he was, you know, very free. Like, oh, there's going to be a lot of interesting political stuff in this movie. There, this is this is looking good. Although I, I think I did even I, I did question him. Like, why aren't you just waiting for the movies? Like, it's Star Wars, man. I, I, I just got to have it. 
which is a, 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 something that I, I a feeling that I completely understand because I, I do have it every now and then. Well, I mean, I certainly read a lot of those books at the time, but I, I did not read the uh, novelizations before the the newer movies came out. Um, and the novel is done by Terry Brooks and uh, kind of focuses on Anakin a bit more, has a lot more sort of scenes with him, which is sort of interesting. But uh, yeah, I mean, the build up going to this movie is so much, and <coughs> it, it, I don't know, it, the rea- the reaction at the time is just so colored from what you're expecting. And at the beginning, you're like, "Ooh, okay, ooh, there's Jedi. Oh, there's on a ship." Oh, wait, but in the in the opening scroll, it talked about taxation on trade routes. What's that about? Oh, oh, and they sound like uh, badly dubbed Asian actors from a Godzilla film when the aliens talk. What? Huh? Uh, it, it's so much new stuff it's throwing at you that it's a bit overwhelming the first time. Well, I don't think throwing out new stuff is necessarily a problem, but I, th- I think one thing that the the movie does well one thing that's so different because when when we saw star wars we were for all intents and purposes starting in the beginning like yeah you know, the movie opens at the tail end of a thrilling chase sequence so we get it's front loaded with a lot of action but uh with episode one it quite literally starts in the beginning so we get something that we've never really seen in star wars before which is set up you do get what's, what's really cool is um, if if you have a chance to watch the Blu-ray with the commentary, um, listening to George Lucas's commentary on it is really interesting because he gets into the way uh, the story is supposed to be constructed and certain beats it has to follow, and you start thinking about the previous ones, and it's it really is spot on. They always start with a you know a space scene and pan down. Into the action, and this action just have to be relatively simple, you know, with the the Jedi traveling and discussing what they have to do. And I think I, I appreciate how, even though it's the first prequel, you know, if you wanted to really tie things more to the other films, it might have been about oh, the rebellion just started, and oh, there's a younger version of the Empire, but it, it makes it seem like you know it's way. Way before that, in an interview, oh, George we- Lucas said he wanted, he thinks, like, what, if the audience got what they really wanted for the prequels, episode three would have been episode one. The first movie would have been about him immediately becoming Darth Vader. And episodes two and three would be about Darth Vader chopping Jedi's heads off. Well, I I actually, I completely disagree with that. Because in, in a lot of ways, the the... A sequence of events in episodes one, two, and three were actually almost exactly what I expected. Uh, I thought it was going to take place and in the declining years of the Republic. I suspected that we were going to meet a very young Skywalker and gradually follow his decline. And I felt like the very end of the of episode three would probably be him becoming Darth Vader. Although, admittedly, I did expect a little bit more Vader action. <laughs> I remember I saw this movie with my dad in uh, in the theater, and afterwards, my dad was like, "Oh, that was a fun movie about a young Luke Skywalker." And even though the whole time the character's name is Anakin, and they call him, "Oh, Annie, Annie, uh, Annie, oh, you're such a good pod racer," and I told my dad, "No, that's young Darth Vader," and my dad looked startled. He's like, "No, it's not." <laughs> that's right. I don't know if you call that willful ignorance. So yeah, I saw a meme the other day. It was yeah. like. What happens when you get called Annie too many times? <laughs> this is the Darth Vader head. That's pretty good. 
but um, but I guess you you you, you do. I think I think that's a, a one thing that does kind of slow the movie down. We talk when we talk about the original trilogy, we spend a lot of time talking about how there's there's almost no exposition and things are said and then never explained, like the spice mines of Kessel and things like that. But I feel like with with the prequels, we're getting everything explained. We are given yep. so much context for this trade war and for you know various other things that are going on. I feel I feel it kind of bogs the movie down. What I you know we it's not like Star original Star Wars where really quickly we know who are the goods and who are who are the goodies who are the baddies and they have at it. There's just lots of people swirling around in this movie. Well, I think that's part of the setup is things are not as black and white as they are during the the, the original trilogy. You know, things are very very gray at this point. And not to mention, oh, never mind. I don't know what I was going to say there. <laughs> well, the, pol- the politics certainly are a whole subplot through all three of these prequel films, but especially with how it's introduced in The Phantom Menace, that you didn't get in the original film, you know, sort of more of the backstory to set up how the um, how the Empire gets started, you know, gradually over, over time. Well, oh, I remember the- now. Yes. Okay. Fresher, you were talking about how we just have so much exposition. Mm-hmm. I think that's... It due to fan response, I really think that's what the fans wanted. So he tried to give it. Because you know, think I about could, it: after we see something Star Wars, we go looking up everything we can about it. You know, you huh. have a point because that that is something that I, I have noticed with a lot of the expanded universe material. Is a lot of time is taken to explain things, but I I don't think Star Wars works well with those kind of it detailed explanations. I think it really is a world of the imagination and you need to have gaps that you can imagine into. Mm-hmm. What do you think about some of these uh, new characters and settings in this film? I gotta say this. I love Naboo. I love that for the first time in Star Wars, we get to see what is for all intents and purposes a paradise planet. Uh, I, I think it is wonderfully designed, wonderfully realized. I like seeing a planet where not only people live, but look like they can live very, very well, as opposed to the hellish backwaters that we see throughout the uh, original trilogy. It's a very civilized planet compared to most of them, too. Like, they're not, it's a lot, it looks older. Like people have been well, living there and, inhabit, and inhabiting it longer. Well, you know what else it does? It uh, it shows us what's going to be what or what has been lost by the time of the original trilogy. Man, that's pretty quick too. When you think about it, twenty something, you know, twenty one years max. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's a little more because you got to figure Anakin growing up. There's, but maybe I mean, you're talking about maybe a thirty year difference between when Episode One starts and Episode Four. And things just go so much to hell. That's it. Really makes you wonder what happened in those years between. Well, who knows? We might get a movie that explains that now. <laughs> I, I'm. At, I, you know what? I kind of want to see the, them do those separate story movies and have like a Yoda one that takes place in between. Maybe he contacts some other Jedi or something. You know, to be fair. Uh, Video game Star Wars: The Force Unleashed does give us a peek as, as to what's happening between, but uh, but you know between episodes three and four, and I, I did like the way that was realized. Oh the, yes, they're very good. Yeah, no, I thought that was really neat in that the first game in particular, too. Um, when I look at these 
these characters in this film, it makes me wish that the uh, character of Qui-Gon Jinn, played by Liam Neeson, it didn't get killed off. Yeah. I, I guess you had two characters that people didn't want to die off so quick in this movie. We, you know, I and some of, they, I, they did want and they didn't. They never did. <laughs> you know, I kind of agree with you. I, I either want to see, looking back at it, I either want to see Qui-Gon get killed by Vader in a later movie or I want to see him die in the first ten minutes of this movie. Hmm. I would like to see Obi-Wan get in over his head. I, I think I, that's something that I think Obi-Wan is, is underutilized in this film because so much focus is on Qui-Gon. And we don't really, we don't really get to see uh, Obi-Wan become a man. We just kind of get to see him be an apprentice for a while. He yeah, really that's really... the whole thing is it's – Qui-Gon is supposed to echo Obi-Wan from the original movie. Right. He goes through most of the movie and eventually dies fighting the big bad guy. But at the same time, they don't bring him back in the capacity that they bring back Obi-Wan. Very um, true. Still as an advisor, which is kind of – but I guess they figured they had the rest of the Jedi to do that with. It still would have been nice to see Liam Neeson as a blue ghost. Um, I wonder if they just if they just couldn't get a contract worked out maybe. You know, in Attack of the Clones, Liam Neeson has one line of dialogue and he screams out no, I think during uh, – I think it's a nightmare or something. I'm not even sure. And he was supposed to appear in Revenge of the Sith, but they couldn't get it worked out, so they just never filmed the scene. I can't imagine that that's the case because everyone knew they were getting into three films, and and yeah. it's and you know you know Alec Guinness, you know you only have to be on set for what like a day to film all your ghost scenes. I can't right. imagine it would have been difficult to bring him back. I honestly feel like they they had they felt they had so much ground to cover, they just couldn't figure out a way to work him in. That's part of it too. I mean, this, especially in that in the episode three, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, Revenge of the Sith. There's a lot that goes through. Oh, hey, I've got a nerd question. Uh, go ahead. Okay, and I, I don't know if either of you can answer this, but this was something that was kind of on – it was on my mind when I first saw Phantom Menace, and I would completely forgotten about it until today. But uh, the aliens in the Trade Federation, are they supposed to be the same species as those two blue guys in spacesuits that are in the Moss Eisley's canteen? No, 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 no. No, the, the, you're talking about the Duros in the Moss Eisley, the blue ones with the red eyes. Yeah, but they—they're not. They're um, Nimodian, Nimodians, are the Trades Federation ones. They may be related, but they're—they're they're different. Huh. But I can see where you get the thought of that because of the mouth, the way the eyes are kind of beady. Um, well, they look almost identical, except different skin well, tone and eye they're color. They're the generic gray-based aliens. When you look at them, they look like that—that that big head, large eyes. Kind of likey body style. And it's nice those aliens are played by people in actual suits. They're not CG in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yes. And, and although there there is quite a lot of CG in this film, there is stuff that's models that you wouldn't suspect. Like some of the spaceships are actually still models. Yeah, I didn't realize until without watching the commentary, I didn't realize the, that some of those things were models. I always thought it was all CG. I could tell for some of the shots that it was models, and I I greatly appreciated that. I've, but I've, I've, I think I've gushed about models for three episodes. I don't know if I want to make it a fourth. In uh, an early version of the script, they were going to have young Anakin be like 12 or 13 years old. And they decided to change it so he's, you know, seven or eight, whatever he's supposed to be in this film. Because they wanted it to be more traumatic 
to have uh, him separated from his mother at a younger age. Do you think uh, it would have been better had Anakin been older and, you know, had more to do, I guess? In my, my ideal version, Anakin would have been about 10 years old and he would have been he would have been more, much more of a Tom Sawyer character. He would be the mm. real kind of wild, untamed kid who will benefit greatly from the discipline offered by the Jedi Order. But you know, I I, I guess what I, re- I really wanted I really wanted a Tom Sawyer. I wanted a rambunctious American youth. I mean, the character of Anakin in this movie is pretty passive. I, I would have to say, you know, he's. Entered, he's put into a pod race because oh well, that's what he has to do to win his uh, his freedom. He really feels kind of tacked on. I think that they could have brought him in to, at the end. I don't think they need to bring him in as early Ooh, as they did. That's an interesting notion. Yeah. Oh hey, can I t- talk about something that really bothered me in in this in this movie? Um, with, with um with Anakin and his mother uh, being being slaves owned by a hut. We see more slavery in Star Wars before the Republic collapsed than after when the Empire took over. Well, because we just don't know about the slavery after the it Empire. It could still be going on. It probably well, we is. We know that they slave, and that's supposedly Leia, repressed all non-humans. But you also have to remember, that's in the hut space, you know, hut-controlled space. And even the Republic doesn't really mess with the huts so much. It's kind I, of like the I mafia. suppose it's just you know I think I I don't see slavery as being part of a more civilized age. It, it really bothers me that there's slavery on a planet and that the Jedi and the Republic just has doesn't seem to have any interest in it. Well, they're thinking about bigger things. Now there's two white elephants in the room we're not talking about. Oh, one of them is uh, the concept of midichlorians. Which was a, yeah, you oh, saw yeah. that got dropped real fast, didn't it? Did they bring it up in the later film? I'm trying to think. Uh, the I, be- I don't they think they are they subtly mentioned in episode two, but as I, I don't think I recall them ever coming up again after that. I don't recall... think I've ever heard them in the Clone Wars cartoon. I think it might be in a line of dialogue in Revenge of the Sith for some reason, but I'd have to look that up. But I'm thinking, you know, you think of how they describe the Force in the uh, in the original trilogy. An energy know, field which, which surrounds us, penetrates us, binds, binds the universe us, yes, together. Binds the universe together. And then you find out they can test out a person's blood and see, oh, the, the midichlorians, this person only has 3,000 midichlorians. They're not very Jedi-ish. Oh, wait, this kid has 10 million. Whoop, he's a super Jedi. I think that that well, really that- turn, that comes down to the, hey... I think fans want an explanation for this. We better put something in there. Yeah. And, and then you go, that was stupid, George. Why did, why did you better not to explain it? He's talking well, to you himself. Know, you know? I've heard, I've heard lots of explanations for how midichlorians came to be. One of which being that George Lucas resented having star Wars often referred to as fantasy. So he wanted to come up with a pseudoscientific explanation <laughs> for the force. I've also heard explanations that he was going back to his own inspirations like Lensman, where there is an explanation for all the powers the Lensman have, and he wanted to impart some of that. I've also heard explanations that uh, that 
it was always something scientific, but then it became really superstitious after the everyone became superstitious after the republic collapsed and thought that it might as well have been magic. But frankly, I don't know. It does seem it, it does seem kind of tacked on, and it does do something that always bothered me in a lot of the expanded universe stuff that I used to read, which was when Jedi detectors came up, because. You know, in, in the original trilogy, it really is described for all intents and purposes like a religion, a philosophy, a mystic path. But then having like a, a machine to, to to track midichlorians is kind of like having a machine that detects Catholicism. Now, if you think how they had the same scene where instead of Qui-Gon Jinn, you know, uh, giving uh, Aunt, young Anakin a little prick and getting some blood hey and, now. And, and testing it. What if, you know, uh, Qui-Gon would have gotten, gotten near Anakin and then it would have looked like he had a really bad headache or something and the music sounds weird and he's like, oh well, my. Well, I think they could have, I think they could have still have a machine that does it because if it is an energy field and the Jedi have been around so long, they would figure out a way to measure it and and, and such. Well, Okay, I I can see that actually. But I think that they would measure it as energy. You know what? I'm just going to assume from now on that midi chlorian is the unit of of force. Ha ha. Okay. No, that's cool. That's that's where we're going to go with the midi chlorians are the unit of force measurement. And so the easiest way to to not get overwhelmed by the amount of force someone has on them and get an accurate reading is to use a small sample of blood. We will have to do that in your LARP at Gen Con, then. Maybe, maybe. Have a big midichlorian... So, midichlorian so the other man? elephant in the room? The other white elephant is uh, Jar Jar Binks, who I think it seems like they're trying to set him up as like the Chewbacca of the group, but then they, they quickly drop him uh, in the other prequel films. Well... In, in the original trilogy, st- there was a measured amount of comic relief, and a lot of it came from the droids. Some of yeah, it did come from Chewbacca right. and Han Solo and their interactions. I, I don't think Star Wars is served by having a comic relief character. Like w- when Jar Jar was acting in his role of like a, a native guide and a f- and to an extent a fish out of water when they were on uh, when they were on Tatooine, which kind of makes him work as an a- audience surrogate. It kind of worked, but when when he was comic relief. He really fit the Stomp Tokyo definition of odious comic relief. Hmm. I think he had potential, but like you said, too much comic relief when he could have been an interesting character, which, you know, he's actually a whole lot more interesting in that in the Clone Wars cartoon. I really can't stress enough that it's surprisingly well done. Like people would brush it off, but it really is good. Well, you know and what? Really- he has a lot of character development. He actually goes – sometimes, yes, he has those goofball moments where he, he still wins but in some stupid manner. But he does have these moments of of real Star Wars heroics and, and, and you know, feelings. No, I, thought we don't was, I think it is, is that I think he, wor- he would have worked really well as like a, be- a best friend for, for Anakin to, to the point where like – I would were you know to have Anakin sandwiched between the Jedi Order, which is trying to train him to be responsible and disciplined, oh, and his, his fun loving friend yeah. who's always trying to get him to be more flexible and, and, and you know more human. There's just a perfect way to build a sort of a, a, a triad there, but it, it's kind of squandered. I mean, it doesn't help that the 
the Jar Jar Binks dialogue, like the voice is kind of hard to understand to begin with. And then it's real pidgin English. So you really have to listen to it. I mean, like I'm going to do a line of dialogue in the style of oh. Jar Jar from the film. Okay. And uh, this is when Jar Jar is explaining what happened and why he's on the, uh, he's explaining what happened. And it, it makes no sense, even if you read it all spelled out. My no no, Misa they start in pity oaky day with the brisky morning munchin. Then boom, getting very scared and grab that Jedi and pout Misa here, huh? Misa getting very very scared. Well, I understood it, but barely. Well, you know, I I like the idea of giving him some alien slang in his dialogue. I think that's a nice flourish. But it's the the verbal ticks he has and the weird sentence construction. You know, Yoda said like when because Yoda speaks in a weird way, but he yeah. never gives speeches. But when you have a per- character that speaks in a weird way, and then they give a tremendous run of dialogue, it can really can bog it down. Yeah, I actually think his problem is I I almost think Jar Jar falls in the uncanny valley. Huh? I really? I really think that that I think having him be a CG character like that is part of what killed him. Because really? you lose some of the, you lose that humanity, and that can really redeem a lot of the, the dumb things when you have a human there doing it, or or a human operating a puppet or something. Well, it was my understanding that it was uh, Ahmed Best was in a suit, and they were doing motion capture on the set. Is that not the case? He was just standing in, from what I understand. I mean, just he, so they he knew also where did to motion look. capture for it, but he was also there every day on set in a Jar Jar Binks mask. But the, I mean, there's one thing between the actors, but I think the audience. I think I really because even motion capture at that time was not as advanced. It's not like Gollum, right? Yeah. Where you look at the way the motion capture was done on Gollum, it's still. I really think that if they'd have had, if they designed them differently, so you could have a guy in makeup and a suit, it would. I think he would have gone over better. Or had they waited a few more years. For the no, I, I still better, don't like fully still... CG characters. Yeah. I still don't. I a Gollum is the only exception I've I can give. Where I don't know, if it's just a combination of the right actor and the right equipment and stuff. Hmm. But they 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 unsettled me. I think you lose the humanity. It's one thing if the whole thing's animated, but when you have a fully CG character inside, like Avatar, right when. The the Navis would be interacting with the humans. It always was unsettling to me. It didn't feel right. Make room for huge plays with the HyperX Alloy Origin 65 mechanical gaming keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste wireless mouse. The Alloy Origin 65 has a functionally compact form factor, keeping the arrow keys while ditching the numpad and the F keys. The Pulsefire Haste is the lightest wireless mouse from HyperX featuring a robust connection and the precision you need to click heads. The Alloy Origin 65 and Pulsefire Haste Wireless, a terrific twosome to keep your setup clean and clutter-free. You know, a, a character, it's a, such a minor character, but a character I love is uh, Fode Anadu, if, if only because he's played by Greg Proops. One of the announcers. Yep. Oh, yeah. At the race. No, I think the Padres... But you know what? That doesn't... He doesn't... Like, some of the other CG aliens don't bother me as much. I think a lot of them are not as humanoid and human... Trying to be human as much. And I think the more human something looks, BJ, uh, the more you look carefully at its movements, 
Yes, uh, that's the yeah. that's the uncanny valley right. where it's so close to human, but it's not quite there, and so it makes us uncomfortable. Well, um, let's take a little break here to talk about some of our uh, affiliates and and stuff over at SequelCast.com. The market which surrounds us, penetrates us, and binds uh, businesses together. <laughs> binds businesses together, yeah. So you can check out, not only do we have this podcast, The Sequel Cast, where we talk about movies in a franchise one film at a time, we also have other shows like uh, Sequel Commentary, which does uh, audio commentaries to movies that are usually sequels or, or cult films. Uh, we also have Sequel Cast Special, which kind of covers movie topics at large, usually relating to franchises in uh, some way. And... Um, if you like the show, please go to SequelCast.com slash donate or go to SequelCast.com and click on the donate button to donate via PayPal every little bit. Uh, it helps us out because, you know, doing a podcast isn't free. Doing doing the hosting stuff costs money and, and everything, getting prizes, all that sort of stuff. And um, while you're there, you know, you might want to consider buying some of our uh, merchandise from the Cafe Press link on there. And uh, if you like shopping at Amazon, and who doesn't? If you scroll down, we got some Amazon links you can click on next time before you do your shopping, and we get a little cut of that, so that also helps. And um, let's say you're uh, you're on the bus and you're going to work, and you're like, "Oh my goodness, I forgot to download the latest episode of Sequel Cast." I, I am there in my mind right now. Yeah. So you're thinking, well, I would listen to it streaming uh, through an, an app that's really easy to use, and you can do that on Stitcher Smart Radio. If you go to Stitcher.com/sequelcast. You can download the app, and SequelCast automatically gets added as one of your favorite shows. You can do that at stitcher.com slash SequelCast. So I think we've done all sorts of... Uh, that's it for the plugging portion of the show. Oh, hey, I've got, I've got a question, because this, uh, this, is, this is something that I, oddly enough, almost never hear mentioned. What do you guys feel about Anakin being the result of an immaculate conception? Ah, back to uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, our film of topic. Um, film of topic that doesn't make any sense okay uh they don't address it they're very um sly about it they don't go into deep de- they don't over explain that really um in well i have something i want to say but it would kind of talk about episode three stuff but it's related to immaculate conception so should i talk yeah, about this i think we should okay so I, i've been reading this very detailed very great book called the secret history of star wars um and in it, they talk about in an early script uh, where the um, the Emperor is talking to Anakin Skywalker before he's, you know, Darth Vader. He said he, he said he literally says the lines, I am your father, and that he's responsible for manipulating the midichlorians or whatever to make. Um, I've avert, heard that virgin birth. Well, they imply some of that in episode three, but I totally get that. Like, I, I. I want Anakin to have an actual father, and I kind of want it to be the Emperor. Do you wish they would have actually said that in the film? Outright? Yeah, it, well, I, they don't have to oh. say it, but set it up, because I would totally believe that. Because you know, everything everything is supposed to echo. I think Vader should probably have a similar kind of ten- high-tension relationship with his own father, which would make so much sense if it was the Emperor. Hmm. Unless Shmi Skywalker is actually some sort of Sith cultist. Oh, wouldn't that be great? And they just, hold, and, and just had some sort of, you know, they, they did it in some sort of, you know, Sith ritual, so she didn't remember it. Well, you know, no, I'm, no, I'm imagining her as like a battle whore for the dark side. She's just wearing like 
strips of leather covered in spikes, and she's got like a a lightsaber scythe, and she's just mowing down people. And this well, settles down to just... raise the chosen one. Yeah, that wow. No, I wasn't going to go that far, but okay. But no, I, I think the thing about the emperor literally being Darth Vader's father would have been neat if they would have pressed that more. But I'm not sure if they would have actually had that dialogue in Episode Three. If that would have been too on the nose. I actually think it would have been. I don't think they could have made it work with the with the the following episodes. Had they revealed that this early? Had they talked about it? Yeah, I don't yeah. think it would. I don't think it would have worked because just the whole way that Darth Vader and the Emperor and Luke, when they're going at it, it does. It wouldn't like if you knew that for sure, you'd be like, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, it would explain a lot of the loyalty he has to the Emperor, but, you know, why is he not begging for his own son's, um, you know, begging for mercy for his own son? Mm. And yet, what if he obviously has some sort of sentimentality? What if the Emperor was hopping from planet to planet, siring children just to see which one would survive and be the chosen one? Yeah, you never know. I mean, uh, that wouldn't surprise me. Well, you know, we talked about the experience seeing Phantom Menace on the theater, in the theater. I just want to take a, a minute here to talk about, on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast, some of our listeners have been talking about Phantom Menace on there. Yeah. I just want to read some of their comments, and we can comment on these, too. Excellent. Uh, the sequelcast listener Ben was saying that at first he uh, was less annoyed by the film as he's become now but he loves the pod racing scene. And uh, the pod racing stuff, I think, really works really works great. And it's interesting how in the race itself, there isn't a whole lot of music until the very end. Mm. You just get those sound effects. I have to agree. It's definitely one of the highlights of the movie. It It is really exciting. Uh, Do you know one it of kinda, those... It really yeah. brings in those... The excitement of like the whole Death Star battle, like the trench run and everything, mm-hmm. it gets that feeling going on, which you don't get in the space battle at the end of the movie. No, oh, that's true. And I think with the the pod racing, did you know one of the aliens in there, one of the racers in there, is a puppet? Uh, which one? But the rest are all CG. The one that's the puppet is the one that has like a big snout. I have no idea who that is. I'll have to post. Yeah, that on that's our a page. really. But uh, listener of the show, uh, Eric, who also runs a fun website called otlgaming.com, cool. uh, said he camped in line for episode one, four days of sleeping in a tent and playing cards with his best friend. Uh, listener Robert Groover said he when he saw episode one, his main feeling was abject horror followed by revulsion. Huh. Uh, I'd like more information on that, Robert. If you're listening. Well, actually, you know, maybe he is the uh, the the host of D Infinity Live. Maybe we can uh, get him on as, as a guest next week. Oh, maybe I'll talk about that. Yeah, we have. Uh, yeah, certainly. Uh, uh, listener Stephen Jones said uh, he was 12 and he first saw it in the theater, and he saw it with his older brother, and it helped them grow really close to each other. And uh, he enjoys all the prequels. And uh, this one just got added. Listener uh, Todd uh, DeWitt was 16 when he saw the film. 
And uh, hey, Todd. Hey, Todd. Yeah, he was saying that it got really excited when Darth Maul showed up. He yelled out loud in excitement. I can totally imagine that of Todd. Uh, Todd's Todd's been one of our uh, our best uh, gamers ever to to play with us at Kettle of Fish Productions. Oh yeah, okay. he's tense. He is dedicated. He's he is willing to try anything. He's got a great sense of humor. Hmm. Which actually, he, he's somebody like, you should bring on, Matt. I think that he would be an interesting guest for you to have. Cool. I don't know which. What about? Yeah. I don't know what who franchise he might be interested in. We're kind of but cool I, I think on, he for the rest of the Star movie. Wars shows, but yeah, no, definitely. It's always fun to have listeners on at the sequel cast, and you can check out old episodes of the sequel cast at sequelcast.com. Um, yeah, no, his talking about Darth Maul reminded me when I saw this in the theater, you know, there's a big reveal with the fights, and at the end, Darth Maul takes off his uh, hood, and you see the horns underneath. And uh, someone in the, the people in the theater literally gasped out loud. <gasps> and then someone said really loudly so everyone can hear it. That's the devil. That man is the devil. <laughs> <laughs> and then, Did you, know, you want to yell at him? No shit, Sherlock. No, everyone is really sucked into the movie and you get the, the fantastic Duel of the Fates music. That is my yeah. second favorite piece of Star Wars music. Well, you know, let's let's talk about about Darth Maul because he he was a character I was really looking forward to seeing and getting to know and, and hopefully coming to despise through through the new trilogy. Sure, yeah. But then he becomes this trilogy's Boba Fett. Only they kill him almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And he only has like one line of dialogue too, or one or yeah, two lines of dialogue. Did he just say "Yes, yeah. Master" or "Yes, My Master"? Um, Something like that. I think he has some line of dialogue where it's like, "At last, we will have revenge." And again, he's just sort of an, a borderline competent and easily disposable character who you think is a badass, and yet when he shows up in the expanded universe, is a badass. He's it's totally on purpose. It's got to be. It's got to totally be George Lucas poking fun of the Boba Fett obsessed people. Could be. <laughs> there, he, he purposely sets out to yeah. make this. I really think he's smarter than he lets on than than, than fans oh, think sure. he is. He's he sets it up. So that everybody's gonna love this guy. He's gonna be the biggest badass. And then we cut him in half in the movie, and it's and he falls down the shaft, and bam, they're done with it. We get to give him the Boba Fett ending, but it's a little cooler than the Boba Fett ending because at least you get that awesome, you know, I, I you know, the whole Obi Wan taking him out after he's you know lost his master. So what you're saying, uh, DJ, is uh, is George like Lucas w- was talking to his. Uh designers and working on the script and saying uh, if you thought you've thought a uh, uh, Boba Fett was good well uh, I'm going to make someone even cooler and then I'm going to cut him in half and uh, and kill him in the first movie you know what if I had been working with him I would have been laughing my ass off saying <laughs> yes George let's do it because I don't know about you guys but I, I mean I've talked about Boba Fett before but I just think he's just way too overhyped and I love that Darth Maul got the Boba Fett treatment but, hey, you know what one of my fan theories was after I saw The Phantom Menace? What? Like, well, I knew we were going to see the Clone Wars at some point, and part of me actually thought, oh, I know why they killed Darth Maul. 
all the clones and the Clone Wars are all going to be clones of him. And, and in a later movie, we're going to see an army of Darth Mauls assault, assaulting the Republic. Like, I honestly thought that's where they were going to go. Of course, it's not see, where I they thought, were going to go. I had totally different ideas on that, but it's similar. So keep going. But like that, that's kind of that was the movie I imagined in my head was that the Clone Wars were going to happen and it was going to be a cloned army of Darth Mauls. Hmm. What was your idea, BJ? Well, I actually assumed it would be clones of the Jedi. It would be manipulated evil clones of all the Jedi. Oh. And that's why it's so odd that any of them have survived, because they ended up dying taking out themselves. Interesting. And it's just that's why Yoda and Obi-Wan are so badass and can't get hunt, hunted down by the Empire, because they freaking survived. Hmm. And that's why like, people are surprised. Like, you fought in the Clone Wars? Like You listen to, to Luke, and it's like, this amazing epic thing that there's no way anybody could survive to be that old. Well, yeah, like, well, you know, that's kind of what I thought too, because when I heard references to the Clone Wars in the original trilogy, I was kind of imagining, oh, wow, like meeting a veteran of the Clone Wars must be like meeting a veteran of the First World War, which I got to say, I have. I have met one veteran of the First World War, and it is pretty impressive. Heck, even Second World War veterans are pretty damn impressive. In fact, most war veterans are pretty impressive. I would say all war veterans are pretty impressive. I wasn't say all, but most. I, I've met a few that weren't impressive, but I've met most of them are very because especially if they're li- alive and kicking today and mm-hmm. coherent, they're really cool guys to to sit and talk with. You can learn a lot from them. Sure. Well, talk hey, uh, local uh, veterans, uh, people, the U.S. and the Mind Game Productions, the whole USMSC crew—that's them right there. Oh yeah, there. So we've talked a lot here about this uh, Phantom Menace film. Why don't we uh, before Is it for we, Yoda? Why before we give the ratings? Yeah, I was going to say Yoda. Originally, why? when why, this why, was why? released, they did it as a puppet. Had Frank Oz, who was a was film director at the time, you know, puppeteer it actually and and do the voice. And even though this film takes place what like thirty or something years before. The other films? Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I don't know how many years before or whatever, but Yoda looked, the puppet Yoda looked a lot younger. It didn't look as much like Yoda as people would expect. Like, it looked less uh, less alive He looked somehow. like a Muppet. He actually looked like a Muppet. It looked like a parody of Yoda. Well, it seemed like, well, I liked the, the, the changes they made to make Yoda seem a bit younger. I liked the extra hair, the almost Isaac Isimov look that he had to him. But it seemed that this Yoda was less articulate than the one we saw in Empire. And part, and part of me did ILM build him instead of Henson. Possibly. Yeah. The other thing I'm considering is did they intentionally make him less articulated because they thought they were going to enhance the image with CGI, but then that didn't happen. So that brings a question. Why the hell didn't they remove him and put a CG one in the Blu-ray? They did. Did they? Because it certainly looked the same to me. No, no. In the Blu-ray version of Phantom Menace, they did replace it with the CG Yoda. Maybe I'm just so angry at it that I just, I overlook it when I watch. It could be. Yoda isn't in Phantom Menace a whole lot, but they replaced him with the CG Yoda, which does look better than the puppet Yoda from uh, Phantom Menace. Which I have to say, the Attack of the Clones and the Revenge of the Sith Yoda, I really like what they did there. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of detail. 
And, I think that they they skip they they miss that uncanny valley where right. he's you can see that he's obviously not human, but he's got enough human traits to really you know to click with us. And it had been a few more years where they could work on the skills more. I mean, a lot of stuff in Phantom Menace is real cutting edge for the time. You know, the big sort of big fight scene between the droids and the Gungans. Which you see that kind of fight scene. I like that scene, though. That scene, I think, because it's entirely CG. Yep. So it works. They look like they fit together and they, they, they look right. It doesn't... Some of the droids fighting the, you know, humans looks a little odd. Well... Although I, that fight sequence isn't as successful, like in my mind, I don't have a, it's quite a good response to the uh, to the the battle between the droids and the Gungans. Not, not that it didn't look good, but just that I did not understand who the Gungans were. Because on the one hand, they have like animals lugging siege engines, but those siege engines are slingshots which fire glowing beach balls. But they also have like force field shields like I was kind of like the movie seems to be setting up a battle between high tech and low tech like between the Ewoks and the Empire in Jedi but instead the Gungans appear to have more advanced technology than the droids that they're fighting hmm. I, th- I think it's just a it, it's, I don't want to say aesthetics it's not the right word it's a societal choice of the Gungans to live simply but use high technology in simple ways. I, I suppose so. Just like, think about it, like humans with our advanced technology. We try to get and do very nature appropriate things. You might build a log cabin with crazy awesome technology in it, but you're still going to build it like a log cabin. You're going to, it's this weird analog feel. This kind of pulling back to a simpler time and a simpler thought process. But it keeps the Gungans grounded. I think the the Gungans have a while they are very prideful people, they're not like the Naboo. They're oh, very different. They're very they're very sure of themselves and very you know, very they're okay with just being on themselves. They don't need other people. They don't need to expand or anything. We you know, speaking of Gungans, I love Boss Nass. Uh, like I, I love Brian Blessed playing a shouty alien. I think he was really good. Now is that I kind like of the alien? other? I like all the Gungans actually. I really think it's an interesting race. Well, why does that Gungan again, look so do. different? He's well. Well, th- think about it. It's like uh, it. What's kind of, kind of like where if you have like a, a low tech culture, who's the most successful, prominent person? The fat guy because he can actually afford more food. See, I actually heard it was two different subspecies. I I don't know. I think that's too complicated. I just like the idea that he's kind of wealthy and affluent and, and has a lot of big dinners. Ellen, in 15 seconds, what is Nice Games Club? It's our game dev podcast. Steven, help! Game mechanics, accessibility, art and animation, level design, prototyping. Everything that goes into making video games. How's that, Mark? Nice. Listen to Nice Games Club wherever you get your podcasts or at nicegames.club. Hello, my name's Jonathan Dunn, host of the O3C podcast. Every week I'm joined by my two best gaming buddies, Chris and Minty, and we talk about the games we're playing, the games we love, and how they rank alongside our sacrosanct top 100 favourite video games of all time lists. 
deep dives into gaming mechanics, history and lore abound, all topped off with lashings of irreverent wry British wit, witterings and wisdom. For details on the show and more, head to o3c.games and tune in every Monday on the HyperX Podcast Network. Make room for huge plays with the HyperX Alloy Origin 65 mechanical gaming keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste wireless mouse. The Alloy Origin 65 has a functionality compact form factor, keeping the arrow keys without the numpad and function keys. The Pulsefire Haste is the lightest wireless mouse from HyperX, featuring a robust connection up to 100 hours of battery life and is even water resistant. The Alloy Origin 65 and Pulsefire Haste Wireless. Keep your setup clean and clutter-free with the Alloy Origin 65 mechanical keyboard and the Pulsefire Haste Wireless Mouse. Yeah, I mean, he is really the only one we see. No, I think there were a couple of other elders and they were all the big fat cats. Hmm. I guess you're right on that. Why don't we rate the... uh... Why don't we rate? Phantom Menace on a scale of uh, out of five stars. I give Star Wars Episode One the Phantom Menace. Gee, I think I'd have to give it like a two, two and a half stars. Let's say. I think the the pod race sequence is really fun. I like the fight with Darth Maul at the end, and you get some neat, um, especially the underwater environment of the um, with the Gungans on Naboo. It is really pretty. And yet, the story kind of meanders. It doesn't go as much places as you hope it would. It's obviously uh, set in, setting us up for a lot more to come. BJ. I, okay, I have to give it actually two separate ratings because I think there's the person who doesn't have the nostalgia, mm-hmm. the person who can look past the nostalgia of Star Wars, and I have to give it a four because I think it hits, the, it hits those action notes it hits the, some depth of story and design. And then, as somebody who also loves the nostalgia, i got to give it like a two and a half. Okay. So somewhere between there, I guess you'd say, because I can go into it and I can watch it without thinking about Star Wars to come. Yeah. But there are a lot of folks who can't, and that's the, that's the rough part. It's definitely... I actually... I feel... Excited for kids who get to start with that oh. and kind of grow with it. I think that it's kind of like the Harry Potter books where you start off kind of younger and you get you get older, more appropriate stories as you get. You hit this like dark in the, you know, in episode oh, yeah. three, you hit That's this dark cool. point, like being a teenager where things are pretty, you know, you think life sucks. And then you, you kind of. Then you, once you move past that, you get into these more adult things, themes. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Well, I'm going to give it just a straight two stars. I really want to give it three, and I certainly don't think it's a, a bad movie. M- mediocre, possibly, but not truly bad. But I don't know. I guess I've, I've said everything I need to say. I'm just I'm just going to, despite the parts that I've the parts that I love, I really love, but they're just, they're not enough of them. I'm going to just have to give it two stars. Also, right. I hate double-bladed lightsabers. I think it was a terrible <laughs> idea. Too phallic? No, it, because it opens up, it opens up a possibility for a whole lot of other possible lightsaber designs that you never, they never deliver on. Like a Naginata style or you know, any other things that you could do with that being that simple concept. By not 
fulfilling that, I'd rather them just not have that. And I think it'd be cooler to see him dual wielding anyway. You could have a nunchuck lightsaber. <laughs> I don't know if it works that way. They'll find a that way might, to do it. That might end Darth Maul even faster. Did you see this picture? I would love I just... to see somebody do animate that scene with him with with lightsaber nunchucks and he cuts himself in half. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see this picture I just posted over at facebook.com slash sequelcast of a French fast food chain called Quick that did a tie-in for the 3D re-release of Phantom Menace where you could have the Darth Vader burger with a black bun or a Jedi burger with a white bun. Like, I... I don't know if I'd want to eat that black bun. (laughs) I don't know which one I want to eat less. (laughs) But the black bun is, like, the black bun, the most disgusting bun I've ever seen. The stuff inside the Jedi burger, most disgusting burger content. I can tell if that's mushrooms or onions on top of the Jedi burger. I think it's it's like cheese curd or something. I don't know. Yeah, but then you get cheese. It's a mushroom. And the Darth Vader burger has like Thousand Island sauce. But that black (laughs) bun looks suspicious. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a mushroom cat. It's like out of a cartoon. Yeah. Like when somebody poisons something, it turns all like bubbly and green or black. Yeah. Here, my young friend, treat yourself to a dark burger. Go <laughs> check out the Darth Vader burger over at facebook.com slash sequelcast. At least they didn't mix anything into the meat to make it black. Oh, that oh. would be <laughs> a jet black, <laughs> black cheese. <A> jet <laughs> black cheese. No, that's the only difference. They're both in regular buns, but the Darth Vader version has black cheese. <laughs> that's uh that's something else Good okay Lord. so now we're going to do our game pitch a sequel and we should pretend there weren't sequels made to this uh film phantom menace and um so I- i'll start i say you know phantom menace anakin is still a little kid i think what you would um have to do is uh, I would call it Star Wars Episode 1, Obi-Wan and Anakin's Big Adventure. B- big Adventure. You <laughs> store the words right out of my mouth, Rifer. And it would be uh, Obi-Wan, Kenobi, and Anakin go on a set on a journey just by themselves, just the two of them. But little do they know that the, uh, the Emperor is uh, following them is following right behind them, trying to use the Force in ways to make Anakin get angry so he'll use his dark side more. And Anakin, I think, is maybe in this one, he's like 12 years old or something. He's uh, a little bit older than Phantom Menace, but not as old as he'll be in the, whatever, the when he turns to be Darth Vader. So he's kind of at an in-between age. And it's, it's a series of comic pratfalls of the Emperor trying to make Anakin as pissed as possible so that he'll kill Obi-Wan. And it doesn't happen, but it, it comes close. All right, BJ. Hmm. All right, so I'm going to do uh, Star Wars Episode Two: The Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. So here's where we get our our clone Jedi army, who happens to be uh, Anakin's been at the academy, um, reluctantly being trained by Master Yoda because uh, Obi Wan is off on some sort of mission. So. Um, and he, Obi-Wan arrives just in time to pick up Anakin to take him out on something when the clones attack. And so what happens is, knowing he's supposed to be the Chosen One, he had Obi-Wan and Yoda to gallivant across the galaxy with young Anakin, trying to keep him safe from the clones. 
Meanwhile, meeting up with Bail Organa, who kind of gives them a place to set up their base. Uh, so then we have the whole setup between uh, Leia mentioning about you know, working for his father and you know, fighting for his father in the Clone Wars. So um, Obi-Wan and Yoda defend Alderaan from the army of evil Jedi clones. Hmm. Meanwhile, Anakin starts to learn about using the Force and just ha- happens to, you know, you get some, you'll get, you know, some dark moments where he uses dark side powers against the dark side wielding clones. And um, then Obi-Wan and Yoda are obviously teaching him, you know, no, it's not the way, don't do it like that. It's pretty neat. I'd like to see a bunch of Jedi clones instead of them all being, you know, the sort of identikit robot, uh, you know, whatever, stormtrooper-looking things that they end up doing. Uh, Thrasher, what's your picture sequel? Well, uh, mine would be uh, Star Wars uh, Episode Two: uh, A House Divided. Uh, it's going to take place not too long after the uh, after the events of Phantom Menace. Uh, uh, do uh, for a number of reasons, Obi Wan is now training uh, under Yoda, who's uh, you know trying to put uh, Obi Wan on kind of a fast track to to uh, to Jedi Knight status. Uh, and what's going to happen? Uh, uh, what's going to happen is that uh, Obi Wan and Anakin are going to get separated. And uh, while they're separated, the Clone Wars are going to begin. And as much as I would like the Clone Wars, you know what? Yeah, and the Clone Wars is going to involve uh, an army of cloned Darth Mauls. So the galaxy okay. is, is 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 having a huge conflict, uh, which is going to continue to escalate throughout the movie. Now, the thing is, uh, young Anakin is going to be going off on a on a, a training mission with some other young Jedi apprentices. You know, c- kind of like an Eagle Scout thing. They're going to be taken into the middle of like a wilderness planet. They're going to have to survive on their wits, do all that stuff. However, as the Clone Wars begin, uh, their ship is sabotaged, crashes on a planet, crashes on this 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 planet in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Anakin is the only survivor. And literally does have to fight for his life. But while he's on this planet, he meets a mysterious hermit who takes him in, and it's sort of like a uh, like a sort of a dark Yoda. Like he's oh, like, "Oh, a Jedi! Okay. I'll teach you things the Jedi weren't going to teach you." Uh, and of course, it will be revealed at the end of the movie that this mysterious hermit is actually the Emperor. This was all part of his plan. Hmm. But of course, Anakin does not know this and will not find out within the course of the movie. Uh, but when it's all done, you know, Anakin, you know, you know, the, uh, Anakin decides, well, you know, I, I still have a resp- I guess I do have a responsibility to the Jedi Order. Uh, something something attacked us. So in the end, Anakin uh, walks away, walks out of his training with his dark hermit, manages to cobble together a spaceship from spare parts and gets out into space. We could see him be a badass pilot because by then he will rejoin with Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan, on the other hand, is sort of pulled into these he and Yoda sort of pulled into the thick of the clone wars uh so we get to see a lot of him you know fighting off the army of Darth Mauls and when and at the climax of the movie when Anakin and Obi-Wan reunite they fight back to back through an army of clones and manage to make it to the clones commanding officer and who is commanding the clones the original Darth Maul who is more machine than man because he was cut in half in episode one it's funny you mention that because the the current story or the just finished story arc on the Clone Wars cartoon 
is Darth Maul and his brother uniting all of the criminal organizations under them to then attack planets. Cool. Hmm. Did they do a good job with it? Um, I kind of wish he had just stayed dead. Okay. I, is it, is it just, the original I Darth think Maul? That once, no, it's the original Darth Maul. Oh, so he did survive? It, it's half of him. He's, his bottom half is a robot. It was a droid. Yep. And his, but his, I mean, I like that they, they did some nice development with Darth Maul, but I wish they had left him dead to do it because they go into, um, they go to his village on, uh, on Dathomir, which is, I think I mentioned Dathomir when we were talking about the courtship of Princess Leia as, uh, in episode six, but they go there and you find out that he's from there and that his brother also lives in the village of these dark side worshiping people. And they were actually, um, they were actually like manipulated and turned into these horrible like Sith monstrous creatures. So it's it's really interesting. They did a lot of development through of Maul and his brother, but then they brought Maul back to life, and it was kind of like ah, because I kind of liked seeing him before. I mean, you understand, okay, and that's why he died, and it kind of made it make sense. But then he brought him back. And, I don't like it when you cut people in half and then bring them and ba- bring them back. Yeah, you know, there's a reason that Obi Wan only cut off the legs and arms of uh, of Anakin in Episode Three because people generally don't survive a, across the middle of the waist there. Nope. Too many organs. Too many damn organs. All right. So now we're doing our last segment. Those are all great ideas. Uh, the last segment is going to be what you're watching. What are you watching? Hmm. Uh, something I've been watching is I saw the uh, premiere of season four of Community. Mm-hmm. Woohoo! And I, I think it wasn't bad. Like, um, you know, it, it's kind of doing a transition kind of story right now, I think. One of the characters is kind of out of it, so you keep on the character uh, of Abed, Pierce. so you keep on going into his head. Uh, or is he more sane now? Ah, he's. I wouldn't say comatose because he's not in a bed in a hospital, but it. He he has that he look imagined. on his face, and uh, but the the gag that they do, which is pretty clever, is he imagines like um, if his life was a sitcom, and in the sitcom version of his friends, everyone is the same except Chevy Chase. Chase is played by uh, Pierce Hawthorne, is played by Fred Willard. <laughs> which is pretty funny you know when it first started out I thought maybe Chevy Chase wasn't coming back and Fred Willard was actually going to play him I thought and that, I thought that, that was the most brilliant substitution they could come up with it, it was a very nice substitution but uh, I mean Chevy Chase left Community near the end of the fourth season but they just started airing the episodes for season four it's unclear if they're going to do a season five it depends on how this one does but the premiere did pretty well in the ratings all things considered so we'll have to see well, where it goes great is that they is that this this season of community uh, as near as i can tell is about community uh it's about itself to the point where i don't know i don't know if you've noticed this but apparently the next three episodes are all holiday specials because which they did on purpose because they knew they weren't going to get aired during the holidays oh i didn't know that i i really like the self-referential and meta thing they they did with it it was really interesting and I like shows that have a sense of humor about themselves. 
Yes. Like I, I don't find that with um, what's uh, what is it? What's the other nerdy one? Uh, Big Bang Theory. Bang Theory. I don't get that from oh. Big Bang Theory. I don't really like Big Bang Theory at all. Uh, what have you been watching, BJ? Breaking Bad. Oh! I have yet to see I, that, but everyone at work is crazy about it. It's intense. It's I've definitely that, intense. Yeah. I can only take it in small doses because it is that intense. Like, I can watch maybe three episodes and then I have to stop because it's just so much. Because you really, it really deals with so many emotions and, and thought processes that most of us don't have to deal with because we don't know we're about to die. <laughs> well, I, and I love I, the whole I, cutting I, off Daniel Trejo's head and blowing it up. And sometimes I'm right. Hmm. But I, de- I definitely recommend it. And of course, I watched Community like you, uh, like you as well. What is something you've been uh, watching, Thrasher? Uh, I, I just watched the uh, latest series of a peep show starring David Mitchell and Robert Webb of uh, that Mitchell and Webb look fame. Fantastic British comedy. So you're all done with it then, or is there still some more? Well, I, I'm done with the current series, but they could still do a ninth series. But they, they do it each, each series is six episodes. Hmm. It's about. I'm still it, waiting for Doctor Who's latest season to end up on Netflix. Oh, me too. Because I don't have BBC. Me too. <laughs> Pretty cool. Well, I think we did a great job this show of talking about Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Be sure to tune in next week where we talk about Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. For the sequel cast, uh, this is Matt. Thrasher. And BJ. Saying, we should go watch more sequels. Misa like a more more sequels. Misa love you. That's that's terrible. <laughs> Misa want the Yusa to watch a sequel cast. Uh, listen, sequel cast. Wait, wait, wait! I just occurred to me. Why didn't we talk about Anakin being able to build droids to factory specifications? I'm sure you can get the plans on the Hollow Net. I guess you can. It's they just... clearly explain that in Attack I mean, of the Clones, a... where Anakin <laughs> has, yeah, Anakin has his monologue about. Uh... Let me look it up. Keep on talking for a minute. Okay. Well, because well, this is the thing is like that, that Attack of the Clones is the worst place to have that information because that's not the movie that we're watching. Uh, I, I guess I like, think they they needed a way to make. I think that they needed a way to put C-3PO in, but they couldn't figure out any other way that wouldn't be too obvious. He can't be a protocol droid assigned to the royal family of Naboo? No, 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 no. He can't be an adjutant to the Jedi Order? See, that's the whole thing is you have to put him in some some situation where he'll eventually be tied to R2-D2 somewhat permanently, but get his memory wiped on a regular basis. If If he belonged to the Jedi Order, he would have been blasted. Um, if he be- and if he belonged to the royal family of Naboo, you ne- he never would have ended up back with R two D two. He probably would have ended up staying on Naboo, working R- in the Queen's castle. But R two D two is the property of the Naboo royal family. Why? Why can't they both follow Amidala around? I think they gave R two to to Anakin as a, like a present for saving the planet or something. I guess. It's it's hard to keep because it's the only way that explains that he's always got R two in his fighter. Very true. 
But I just I, I'm sure they could have I'm sure they could have found a way because I guess like R two D two and C three PO work so well together I just can't imagine them ever having a period in their life when they weren't together when they were on different planets like I just imagine the well, I think that's when they're the that's when their whole I think that's when their whole personalities start to really develop is once they meet each other I I suppose so but um, never mind I, I, I take back what I said earlier there is not a line in Attack of the Clones that explains that. He says he likes. To, he said he likes to build things. I'm pretty sure he either. Well, if he can build a pod racer from scratch, he might. Be, he can probably figure out a droid too. I I guess it just seems like. Is there anything the motherfucker isn't supposed to be good at? Being a good guy. Okay. <laughs> or Enough being point. a being a decent human being because we all know he's a whiny little bitch for the rest of the movies. <laughs> yeah, Vader is just overcompensating. Yeah. Oh, no, no, see, no. Anakin and Vader are different. Different personalities. He gets that, the traumatic, that, that traumatic event, snaps, and Darth Vader comes out. And so the good man that was once your father was killed by Darth Vader. Ah. Uh. Aha. Uh-huh. I can see that. Well, he, he, and you know the sad part is... So he's a whiny bitch in the movies, but in the Clone Wars, he's actually a respectable guy who has these moments of, you guys really need to watch the show because it makes so much more sense in the movies. I, I catch it when I can. I just don't have cable. So it's, it's like I only see it when I'm on vacation. They're, the DVD price is well worth it um, for the DVD sets. I, I definitely recommend them. Pretty cool. All right. So tune in next time on the sequel cast for Attack of the Clones. Woo-hoo. Which I have to say is the dumbest title for a Star Wars movie ever. It is hey, a, save it for next week. It is a pretty I dumb know. title. All right. Yeah. So.